to a special episode of Supplycast, the podcast from the Healthcare Supply Association. Today we have assembled a gaggle of procurement people to discuss the Green Paper Transforming Public Procurement, which was released in December, way back in December 2020, before Christmas, which seems like about a decade ago now, doesn't it? Today, I am being joined by Clara Pennell, who's Head of Procurement and Logistics at Royal Berkshire NHS Foundation Trust. Keith Rowley, MD of North England NHS Commercial Procurement Collaborative. Richard Whiteside, Head of Procurement Ethics Partnership University NHS Foundation Trust. And Dan Tagg, Deputy Director of Procurement University College London Hospitals NHS Trust. First of all, thank you everyone for joining me today and taking time out of your busy schedules to come together. You're welcome. Bit thank concerned you, of taking a, taking a promotion as a goose. Now I'm in a gaggle. So uh. <laughs> there you go. I, I was trying to think. Is there a uh, is there an actual word for is there, is there a group noun for procurement professionals? Oh, I would like to say. Oh. A, what would it be? A, a, I don't know. A, a soon to be fired gaggle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it has to be a collaborative. Oh yes, oh yes. yes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna copyright that. I've got a collaborative of procurement professionals today to talk about the green paper. Now, this is the point at which I've no doubt that everyone's read the green paper and studied it profusely, perhaps over your Christmas dinner. Might have been my, my... Yeah, it was about one o'clock in the morning on New Year's Eve, I think. <laughs> It's definitely a bedtime read, I'll give you that. Yeah, definitely sends you to sleep, that's for sure. So we're going to keep this a little bit fluid in terms of it, but the first question that I was going to ask to sort of get this kicked off is, how much do you think there was a need for this green paper? Anybody want to go first? Shall I take that first then? Yeah. Um, yeah. I think... With Brexit, there was obviously a lot of expectation procurement rates would change. So in that sense, I think there was a need. I think for some time, we've always wanted and hoped to see changes to procurement rates. I think we've become a bit apathetic over time that because we were part of the EU, that'd be difficult to ever see or facilitate. So actually, I think in some ways, I'm quite encouraged by this. And I think broadly, they're, they seem to be heading in, in, in a positive and encouraging direction. We'll get to the detail and talk about that today and, and possibly in future sessions but yeah I think there was a need. Would you like to add to that? Yeah I'll add. It, it was um, the the regs were very outdated and cumbersome as they currently stand and so this refresh along with Brexit really helps us to focus and make them simpler in the approaches that need to be delivered but also allows us to understand the detail and help build that for what our requirements are as a you know, a single entity outside of the EU, so we don't get brought down into all their rules and regulations at the same time. So is, is it a good time for us to actually be able to input and lead with this, but it was a long time coming. I think before we say that they're less cumbersome, we need to wait and see what actually comes out. Oh. Because obviously at the moment, you know, we, we, we can see kind of the framework that they're going to operate within, but you know, it, it might be that it's just as lengthy as the current procedures, but just with fewer procedures, obviously they've gone from seven proposing to go down to three. But I suspect that a majority of us have always worked within 
probably two of those procedures anyway. So even though there were seven available to us and a bulk of procurements were done down the open and the restricted. But, um, but yeah, let, let's wait and see. I, th I think what Keith said, it's definitely right that a change was needed, particularly with Brexit. But let's, um, let, let's keep our sort of powder dry as to whether or not they're less cumbersome. I, I did come up with a, a good analogy, Richard, about what these, uh, how, how to portray these new regulations. And that is, it's like going to a fine dining restaurant. You've got an amazing menu to pitch, choose from, but you don't know what the ingredients are. And that's what we've got in front of us at this moment in time. Dan, what's a, what's a restaurant? What's that? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> I seem to remember my grandparents talking about these things. Um, Clara, did you want to add anything to that? Do you think this was a, a good, do you think that this was a required, this green paper? Um, so along with everyone else, yeah, long time, long time coming, but I've got concerns that it's either, it doesn't cover enough detail or it doesn't acknowledge what I think we need to change in procurement um, going forward in the future. But I don't want to start on uh, my thoughts now because we'll be here all afternoon. So just direct <laughs> questions. <early. laughs> um, you know, I mean, we ran a poll when the Green Paper came out on, on what the initial takes were. Um, and I think there was about a three-way split, but I think the, 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 the one, one of the most prominent things was uh, obviously the requirement for more detail you know I guess yeah. you know I guess like in any industry you read like a, a green paper like this a document like this and you're you're aware of the fact that it's it's, it's out there to make a positive first impression but there's there's always going to be a kind of a you know a wait and see scenario yeah I agree Bruce I, I think yeah. everybody said it isn't it you know that mm. that at a headline level there's some interesting and positive indicators in in the paper there's also some stuff in there I think we'd all be a bit anxious or concerned about, depending on, on what level of detail you is. But it, it is that analogy, isn't it? Devil's in the detail. And until we get to that and see it, I think you are right. I think Rich is absolutely spot on. It, it is probably a bit of a weighing game because um, there are some positives and, and there's probably some areas yeah. you go, really? Do they really need to do that? Or is that really where we're headed? Well, I'll tell you what, let's start on the, on, on the positives then. I was going to ask each of you to think of something that really stands out to you as, as something that you, that you really welcomed when you when you saw it in the green paper? I'll start off. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm going to generalise here rather than going on kind of each section of the paper. Yeah. But I think there was a it was a long time coming and much needed to simplify public sector procurement um, mm. because it is convoluted. Um, sometimes it isn't transparent enough. Um, We've got lots of cases coming through from EU exit and how we use frameworks, how we award, how we contract manage, um, and the systems we use across the NHS. And I'm talking, I'm referring to NHS procurement because I know this is actually public sector procurement is talking about here, or referring to. But in terms of, it, it's about having the right team behind that though, and ensuring we've got the right tools and we are not taking two steps, two steps back and one step forward, because we're pretty good at that in NHS procurement. I think we are, or we have been. Controversial, I know. In terms of, kind of just as an overview, I think it's good that we're being acknowledged as a, as a cohort of professionals. So procurement seems the last to be reformed or recognised, and I think there's a, there's a big shift change the last couple of years, and, and particularly now given PPE of how important procurement and logistics are to businesses, not just in healthcare NHS, but actually just globally. So for me, I think it's, that's a big tick. And 
great that people are wanting to change us for the better. Okay, positive first thoughts. Um, Dan? I would agree with Clara on that as well, but I also, I like pulling out the piece on the past performance and agreeing where that sits and really having the ability to tackle that rather than the way it is currently at the moment. So really going into detail with those suppliers. I do like it that we're going to reduce the number of procedures down to three, but I still have concerns around the first procedure on that one, the, the flexible that allows for negotiation and innovation. How flexible is that? We just don't know. But it sounds really good on paper for a high-level approach. So yeah. for me, it's like brilliant. We can really focus on specifics and go for that. But until we actually see and feel and try and deliver the detail that's behind it, it sort of it throws you a bit. But at the mm -hmm. same time, I, I raised this question with Clara during the week is I'd like to know who the author was of this paper because it's not on there anywhere. And I think that really sits with me. It's like, okay, where, who helped devise this? Who helped pull this all together? Was it a, group, a panel of experts from across the country from all different walks of procurement life? Or was it a consultancy that did this? And you don't know that detail at this moment, but that's really important to the context that's put behind it and how they established it. I think it's safe to assume it's a mixture of all of those. And I think they did reference in the paper that they had consulted people within public sector procurement. I might have imagined that, but I'm pretty sure I saw it somewhere. I think it's yeah. just a tiny little part, but it doesn't tell yeah, yeah. you from what walks of life or from what backgrounds oh, yeah, yeah. they came from. Yeah. And, that, and I think for you know, a starter for 10, this is really great. And I think you know, the more panels they have, like we are doing now, I think we are the ones who would be feeding the detail to this because the more questions we ask, mm -hmm. the more detail it gives them to actually put the meat on the bones at the end of it. And on that subject, there's um, a form on the HSA website that goes with the official press statement from the HSA and the Green Paper initial response, um, where people um, can leave their comments to be forwarded on to the Cabinet Office. So we definitely would uh, invite people to make sure that they're filling those in with those sorts of questions. Richard, positive first thoughts. What were the positives when you first saw it? Yeah, I guess for me, there's a couple of bits. Um, I like the fact that there's going to be this national procurement policy statement, which kind of everybody then, you know, all sectors within um, the public sector procurement realm will then feed off of that statement that is going to basically give us all an overall direction of travel, which I think is really good. And also being a bit of a green person and always into sustainability, I like the fact that they do reference the need to be net carbon zero by 2050. It's, it's still obviously a long way off, but to get there, it does need some fairly substantial action fairly quickly uh, to give us a cat in hell's chance of actually hitting that target, which is only 29 years away now. <laughs> Keith, what was your positive? I'm sure you've got one. Um, well, I think I think the guys have covered it really well. Um, mm. So I was kind of struggling to think of one. I think if I was to think about kind of my role as like a regional or stroke national entity and, and the group I represent across that, across the HCSA, one of the ones that really stood out for me was the, the duration in which they're looking at some of these procurement vehicles now. So framework agreements they talked about being up to eight years and being a lot more open and, and the ability to work with new suppliers on those. And I think that's really important. I think, you know, my capacity, I get really frustrated by this kind of lock-in we, we inadvertently have to create through frameworks and vehicles like that, that, that 
sort of say you, you're on the list therefore you can't get in and the idea of dps is a sort of useful but i don't think sometimes they go quite where we want to go in terms of commitment in terms of that so i'm hoping we can see less sort of time and resource spent on those kind of agreements and a lot more time therefore can, can be converted to to actually helping people realize the benefits out of some of these 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 vehicles and procurement activity so that that i found encouraging but again it's you know the headline it's nice but like the guys are saying it's difficult to to really believe that until you see the detail but that was one that really stood out from me from my perspective Th things like no direct award as well from dps is i think is a really important one because a lot of a lot of people we see engaged through frameworks we've got around dps is are just looking for a direct award and and actually the regs are saying no you're going to have to compete a process underneath those so that i think that's going to present some interesting dichotomy as well richard um i was just going to jump on the back of yours there because within the document it talk it, it says that they are proposing legislating for a new dynamic purchasing system that may be used for all types of procurement not just commonly used goods and services and that really threw me a bit because you know, without the detail again we can um, yeah. talk around to the shop on this one but what is it they actually want to do there and is this we have all suppliers and one big dps which we can all pull from or it, it just doesn't give me the, the confidence that they really thought about that or it's going to be a dps broken into lots of different lots yeah i didn't many get different directions I didn't get a sense there was one DPS. I saw it like an enhanced procedure that allowed you to award a DPS to multiple suppliers. And, yeah. and actually, what I couldn't quite get my head around was whether you could then add and remove them over time, although you can do with the DPS more than you can necessarily do today with an open close. But it was that 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 confirmation that you, you, there was no direct award, I think, that was the bit that stood out. So yeah. I, I, I kind of anticipate, and I think, reading between the lines, it, it's not one me mega DPS, but rather multiple. But yeah. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't it, stay again, either way. Lack does of it? detail, though, isn't it? At this stage, <laughs> so you're right. So, they were the positives. Obviously, um, everyone was champing it a bit, no doubt, to have a look at things that were a bit more on the negative side. But let's start with you, Keith, then, since you've, you've just had you. You looked very keen to address this. What made, what raise, made you raise an eyebrow, or even both eyebrows? <laughs> <laughs> I've got no. bushy ones, so they're definitely raising. <laughs> um, I, I like I like the transparency stuff, but I kind of have some big anxieties about some of the things they said around um, around the the process of there was there was a thing around the data a database of um, penalised suppliers, debarred suppliers. I think was the word they used. Yeah. I, th I think that could have some really quite dangerous consequences. And when you link it to the transparency over some of the stuff they talked around regulation and how that's handled. I think there's some real dilemmas in that. And I, I didn't get a sense that was really well thought through. Um, I mean, they talk, the other one I get, I'm really skeptical about was this idea of another same control database of all frameworks. And because we keep talking about that and absolutely, I think that's really important that we do get that transparency of all the agreements and contracts that are out there. But, you know, practically doing that across just health, let alone public sector, you know, we've seen lots of ideas and solutions put forward to that, and we've never really seen that in the in the sort of 10 years I've been in the NHS yet. That one keeps getting rolled out. So I'm sceptical about that one, I guess. From your, your first point, I've interpreted that that's down to individual trust, individual trust choice, whether they can deselect a non-performing provider, but completely agree with you that that's yeah. going to open a can of worm, particularly on the legal side. 
that if yeah. we start as a as a, as a body as a public sector body so actually we wonder we're not going to include in a, ten, um, in a tender because of previous performance and let's say that's applied in an ics or a region you're going to have serious legal challenges come through yeah and i, and I think there's enough case law to to back both sides as well totally agree with that and that yeah i think there's a lot of concern and anxiety around that totally yeah. agree totally yeah agree. yeah and richard what was uh, was making your eyebrows flicker as he flicked through this on christmas day <laughs> yeah <laughs> i've read it far more recently than that bruce let me ah. assure you <laughs> it's it's still warm from the photocopier <laughs> um, yeah i did um linking in a little bit with keith's point really um this talk of having kpis being published by authorities to a national database people aren't great at recording kpis locally at the moment so to think that we might be able to upload those to a national database and then that those kpis could then be based, uh, could then, you know, uh, influence decisions as to whether or not suppliers are barred from procurements, it does leave us open to potential challenge, I suspect, as Clara mentioned. Uh, just one other point uh, just to make is, it talks about trying to, this is an opportunity to get new suppliers in the market, trying to introduce smaller, you know, get SMEs involved in, in procurements, changing that supply base. But that comes at a time where we're once again looking at making bigger procurement organisations going from the from you know local to regional to national uh, procurements, and trying to get suppliers SMEs involved in those is is nigh on impossible really. So it, it's always that challenge. Whatever national papers come out, there's always been this thing about trying to boost uh, SMEs at the same time as driving greater collaboration. And I, I, I've just always struggled with how you actually do that. So um, it will be interesting to see how once obviously all the consultations being done, how they foresee us actually keeping SMEs and uh, smaller suppliers involved. But yeah, the devil will be in the detail. Uh, oh, sorry, I, I, just to come in on that, I think I think Rich has made a really good point there. I think I think sometimes these these policies, and you're seeing it here, aren't you? There's there's a dilemma between two competing policies. You know, the NHS is trying to deliver savings. I know we've not necessarily focused on that quite as much in the last months with, with the whole COVID crisis, but it will come back again, won't it? The, the, the agenda is being driven. You saw Pete Tom starting to talk about it, the ICS agenda with building bigger procurement entities. And yet that doesn't align well, I don't think, with delivering local supply. You know, ICS is, they'll, they'll argue, the policymakers, that it will, because, you know, local geographies and place geographies will be able to do that. But practically the ICS agenda will have a financial constraint and it's going to lend itself to focusing on those bigger spend categories and trying to work out how it can do it, which is going to lend itself to bigger suppliers with bigger frameworks on aggregation. And yet, you know, Carter's recommendations still haven't gone, have they? Let's, let's aggregate demand. Well, that doesn't lend to, to those suppliers. Reduce variation, that doesn't lend to innovative new suppliers. And, you know, actually some of the things you see in DPS is actually with kind of highly flexible frameworks with lots of different suppliers who can bring lots of innovation. I think that I think that's something with the policymakers. I don't, I'm not sure they'll really grasp that. I think they'll set the agenda, and it'll yeah. be something we, as a procurement professional, really have to tease out. When when do you focus on the big spend areas and the big supply markets and manage those? And when when are we going to allow ourselves to to go after the 
the regional local suppliers and that sustainability agenda that I agree with Richard's really important. That sounds like one of those things that needs to be funneled back to the cabinet office on that, doesn't it? I think that's a really good point. I think so. I was going to say on to Richard and Keith's point, um, some of it is quite, it just contradicts itself. So they need to be clear about, so good example is sustainability. And we're trying to work on anchor institutions here at RBFT. If we go blindly follow the advice on this green paper, then we can't do that. And it, and it leads on to something else about a much bigger picture. And I think as one of the biggest buyers in healthcare or purchasing buyers in healthcare, we're talking about, you know, more transparency in our NHS providers um, as in suppliers, but there isn't, as far as I could read, see, um, a mention about understanding our supply chain, and that is our global supply chain and how we incorporate really important acts such as, you know, the Bribery Act, Modern Slavery Act. Why are we not focusing on that as well? Because I think we, as a huge organisation in healthcare, have a duty of care to assure our patients and the public that we are working towards that because, and I'm going to be quite candid about that, I don't think we really do, or we dip our toe in it. Dan, you're keen to get involved. <laughs> I, I, I am. Because <laughs> I, there, there are some points within this. Now, there's a really, uh, th this, this point really jumped out on me, and that is that they're really focused on delivering social value, including economic, social, and environmental outcomes within everything they do. And that links back into the environmental, it links back into sustainability, but it's how they're stating it in this document, but not giving any details about how the criteria will fit within that and how you fit it within your own context to deliver that as part of it. And this, this also links back into the bit around, we used to, uh, they had five, we were a company, we have five principles of procurement, you know, transparency, integrity, efficient, efficacy, fair treatment, non-discrimination. But they've, put, they've added a seventh one, or sorry, sixth one in, which is now the public good. And I don't know if any of you picked up on that, but the public good is where all of these social values, everything else fits under. So we've now got an additional principle to follow to actually deliver this. And I think that is very key, but also it's a bit of a worry at the same time because that that sort of covers everything and they've lumped it all under this just one principle whereas everything else you've still got the value transparency integrity fair treatment non-discrimination and that so that bit really raised an eyebrow with me that they've put this in there and it can be focused on and then suppliers can challenge on that because that is one of the key principles we have to follow now and then it jumps back out that if these values aren't all the principles aren't being followed is you have this new oversight unit which they've wish to establish so the oversight unit which doesn't tell you anything except it's going to be made up of a panel of experts doesn't say who they are where they're from etc doesn't give you a structure a size of the unit and considering how many different procurement departments are across all government sectors that unit would be like a police unit and it have to be of a huge size to manage all of us or if it was such a small unit all i can envisage is in the future that we will have consultants like Deloitte's, McKinsey's, PwC going into smaller procurement centres and actually telling them what to do and what to change because that's, that's the power it is saying they have. So that's a really bigger bit of an eyebrow raiser for me that links in to the principles. 
and you've got to see, you've got to follow the trail and see, oh, they're building this, so you have to do X, and the outcome to be Y. And don't, do you see, Daniel, I, in my head, I kind of struggle with reconciliation of that because the policy will exist. So we want to deliver to these six agendas, including sustainability and, and, and value for money and, and good behaviour. But do we really believe that the NHS financial regime, when it comes down into an ICS context, is suddenly going to go, well, OK, focus on all of those things and spend a bit more money on delivering, you know, anti-slavery, as Claire said, or, or the right policies that allow us to spend a bit more money delivering better outcomes versus the cost pressure to deliver that. So and I think that's for me where the, the, I worry the policies will be joined up with the practical application and the governance models that will actually exist in, in the health service to allow us to properly do that. I think, I think there'll be some, some, some big discrepancies in that. There will be. And I think it, it will come back to how we as individuals then put that into our procurement strategy or the procurement outcome paper to say, you've got A or B choice, but B choice ticks every single relevant boxes of the principles. And yes, it may cost more, but the benefit is greater than option A. And that's all you can do. We need to spell out the options and where, where it ticks everything. And if and that's the choice that we give to others to make, we're just there to facilitate the process and give the right outcomes. Sometimes the decision's outside of our hands. True. So it's obviously thrown up a lot. I mean, I guess one of the, re the reasons I've seen the green paper was to provoke questions for people to feedback, you know. On a scale of one to 10, let's say, how good are you feeling about this green paper? <laughs> this is X moment. <laughs> Sorry, I missed the last bit. How good is what? the how, how good are you feeling about the green paper on a scale of one to 10 at this stage? Y yes, there's more details there. Okay, that's required. Um, you know, you want to know who's behind it. Five? Five. Five? Did, did, do I hear a raise on a five? Seven. <laughs> no, seven. That's good. I like this. This is higher than a five. You say it's... Am I noble? That play your cards <laughs> right, this, isn't it? You go higher than lower. <laughs> higher, higher than a seven, you say? Um, Dan? I'm going to go with six. I'm Amy. stuck in between six. both of them now. <laughs> Oh, no, I thought, okay. can, I, can I change my school, please, Bruce? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> You're just buckling to peer pressure there. That's totally wrong, though. I was going to award a two now. We've all gone with that score. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I was, my gut instinct's seven. I, I was going to say six mm. or seven, but if I'm, mm. if I'm pushed, I think it's seven. On the, on the balance, I think there's mm. some real positive intent in here and there's some yeah. really good things coming down the line you know we keep coming back to that point devil's in the detail mm -hmm. and i think there are some big things in here that will be difficult i'm not sure entirely that policymakers won't do them and i'm skeptical yeah. about whether we'll ever sure. i i think for all the feedback we'll give there'll be some stuff in here that we won't like and they'll still do um but, but i do think on the whole there's some yeah. there's some really good stuff yeah. you know, can i ask a question of the other panel members sure. and one of the one of the bits i picked out was how do you feel about the piece where we will have to align to the GPA and the WTO going forward. And how do you think that will impact? Um, I'll be bound by that anyway. Dan. Yeah. Well, so, we are. We but are. How much do we follow it currently? Because they're making it very clear that they want to really push it within this. I think that's a good thing, given yes. work on our supply chain, sustainability, ethical trading, all nods. And I was going to add into my five because I'm now very aware that this is a low school this <laughs> my, my my reason for five 
is because this is actually a great idea in principle and it's welcomed. My, my major concern, and that's why I'm, I'm doing a 50-50 stroke in the middle of five, is it's how it's applied, how it's interpreted and how it's managed and how long this is going to take. Because this is a huge, huge area we're covering, covering in the NHS. We could be here years doing this. I know they've given some, some guidelines, some guidelines to take sustainability 2029, whatever it is, but there are, that's my concern and interpretation. So that might take them another two years to be explicit on exactly what all of their kind of, the subsections sure. of this paper mean and what the impact is for individual procurement um, organizations within public sector procurement. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think some of the more far reaching things in the paper are gonna take a number of years. And anything that is a national database, a national system, it's gonna take probably three to five years to get that embedded. Yeah. Whereas the, the detail around the new procedures, this DPS plus, mm. that will be fairly simple. Um, and, I, and I would imagine that we'll see that in quite quickly, it, you know, in, in relative terms, probably within the next 12 months or so. But yes, some, some of the stuff uh, I, I, I think we'll, we, we may never see actually, potentially, it might, it might always be one of those things that's just too hard to do. And that's, that, you know, Richard, that's what is, and ask my team here, it's one of my frustrations. We always talk about great ideas. Well, considering that we've all managed to turn around our, depart, our procurement logistics departments with early wave one PPE, sure, that should be a really good example of actually we can change and we can make things better, but we're forever talking about it in public sector procurement, but we're not really doing it. No, but we're but doing some bits yeah. and not all. So, sometimes a crisis is good at, making those changes happen it forces, yeah, it it forces yeah. a change on you, you yeah know, we're good at crisis you, you haven't got time to think about all the all the reasons you can't do it when mm. you're when you're faced with a problem in front of you you just got to get on with it so yeah. hopefully we won't have another pandemic like the current one that forces those sort of changes no. upon us but you never know but, but i think in just coming back to my score of seven for the paper i think it, there's more positives in it than there are negatives I think it's definitely moving in the right direction, less bureaucracy. Yeah, it, 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 it's got the right ambition, if you ask me. Um, so so I'm, I'm happy to give them a seven, but nothing more. Yeah, I'm just well, reflecting on... <laughs> We're eking you up, now. Claire. <laughs> right. We're eking you up. <laughs> we'll give you 5.5. <laughs> I think uh, Daniel highlighted a good point. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've really got my head around the WTA arrangements and what that's really going to mean to us. I think, I think it is challenging. I, th I reflect. I think sometimes we miss miss that a lot of our supply chain is quite global, and I think that's going to be really quite relevant. You know, even even in the PPE pandemic, you know, yeah, there's there's a lot of good work gone into standing up UK Make and the response to that, and there's a lot absolutely we can learn. But I think we've also got to be careful. We don't, we can't, don't get overly complacent that everything's brilliant in the UK. And and actually, we are a global organisation. You know, I, I think we have to operate in a global world mm, and recognise that that you know we have global supply chains that are just as important to us as our UK ones. That I, that doesn't mean I don't think we should build some local resilience. But I think sometimes we can do that. And I think I'm seeing it to the detriment of some international suppliers and supply chains that have done an amazing job to support and stand, stand us up and get us through what, what's been a, an incredibly tough period. Keith, one of the biggest things that would change is that currently we use meat, most economically advantageous tender 
in the future it'll just be most most advantageous to yeah, and that was in, that, just maps and that's in that's in line with the gpa and the w, wto yeah, yeah. so those are the changes they are implementing to make sure everything aligns and those vagaries aren't necessarily well they can be helpful if that's what, if you're using them to your advantage but i think sometimes if if you want better standards of procurement and greater transparency i'm not always sure those vagaries are actually that helpful yeah so I, th I think you know if i was to sit in it and go as a buyer sometimes it gives me that flexibility and that's quite useful and quite nice but and, and you're getting that from some of these regs but you know if we're trying to drive the best outcomes and transparent outcomes for, for our public purse i'm not entirely convinced some of that ambiguity is useful we've um discussed what's in in the document perhaps just to round things off was there anything that wasn't in there that you would like to have seen if someone said to you this is green paper coming transforming public procurement oh great i really hope they <laughs> address this or touch on this was there was there one thing that stood out that you would like to see or you thought they might have touched on oh, oh, i've got two hands up <laughs> clara Mine wasn't more that stood out. Mine was more of a, a laugh out loud moment um, when, okay. I was going, when I was going through it. Uh, and that was um, when they said we have to publish our, com our commercial pipelines at least 18 months, but no less than three to five years in advance. And that made me chuckle quite a lot with how difficult that is at the moment that they really right. want to integrate that into the future. Chloe, you were going to say something. I'm assuming it wasn't to raise your score again. No, um, <laughs> no I, I know I, we're working with the centre on this, but there wasn't a mention about procurement and the people in procurement and your career and your skills and how we can attract the next generation of procurement. Because at some point we're all going to, we might leave our current roles or whatever. Um, and I think that's really important to future-proof um, NHS procurement, or in this case, public sector procurement, and they should have mentioned it. If you're going to, if you're going to transform something like this, such as this industry, then you should transform and help people transform themselves as well with it. That's a very but fair I... point. Yeah. Is everyone done? Is, it, is everyone out? <laughs> yeah, I, I, don't, I don't have a wish list that I wish there had been in it. I, I didn't read it and was like disappointed that something yeah, sure. wasn't mentioned. <laughs> Yeah, I must admit, I didn't get to that stage at all. I think Clara makes a really good point, but I, I don't think policymakers and lawmakers are ever going to really address that. I think yeah. I think that's something that's quite exciting. It's a really good point, and I think it's something really exciting about what we can do. And I think I think we have some opportunities to develop that through through HCSA actually, and mm -hmm. and and possibly even the agenda that's coming around the PTOM agenda to support that. Yeah. There is yeah. a big piece within the PTOM, Keith, which focuses purely on staff and personal development and. Yeah. aligning that to the GCF uh, grading and systems and commercial framework that fits underneath it. So that, that is underway, but sadly, it's very slow going at this moment in time. And I think it should have been referenced in the green paper. Can I just it's say that Keith, Keith needs a gold star for being the first person to mention HCSA. Well, yeah, that's true, actually. But we're all on the naughty step because it's taken five minutes. I've got I'm my 60-year badge. <laughs> Thanks, Hang on a minute, guys. I've actually got my badge on. You just can't see it. Oh. 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 I don't know where it like this. Looks like I'm joking myself, but we're just... There you go. <laughs> I did actually say HCSA at the beginning of the podcast. Oh, well, there you go, Brian. <laughs> you, know, you just weren't you know, listening there, Richard. Yeah, yeah. You missed out. <laughs> Even worse, you weren't listening. Yeah. Even worse. But you, get a, 
Keith, do you always have your 60th anniversary badge in front of you at all times? I, I do now because I'm sat at home in this weird pandemic and I only occasionally get into the office. But Keith, did, right. you, has anyone else not put them on their um, NHS loan yet? That's a good idea. I haven't. I haven't nice got. Done, so, Alan, for those and anyone um, in the executive to say watching, I do. Hey, look. See, oh. there's a better promoter than me, Richard. You might have to take my gold star and demote it to a bronze so we can give Clara a gold. No, you can, you can make it five to seven now, so it's okay. Yeah, marks out of ten for Keith. <laughs> That'd definitely be low. Um, so I'm gonna draw. Uh, I'm gonna draw a line under this. It's, it's been really great talking to you all, actually, and I, I do really appreciate you taking the time to do it. You know, getting four of you together to chat about this, it's, it's been great. Uh, the thing that occurs to me most is please make sure that you're feeding back on the HTSA website, your views and documents so they can go over to the, to, to, to the, to the powers that be and um, hopefully get some of those extra details ironed out uh, that we can then feed back. Um, so make sure when, I, when this uh, podcast goes out, I'll be regularly putting out the link to go to. To put your feedback on there's a form there it's nice and easy um and it, it, it's clearly just from this conversation it's very important that people are getting their views and it heard so thank you again to richard clara keith and dan for joining me today that's been great and join us on the next episode of supply cast <laughs> <laughs>